Welcome to What They Never Told Us, the podcast where we explore our own personal journeys in the hopes to give you some insight into your own narrative. I'm your host, Sasha, licensed mental health counselor. And I'm your host, Crystal, licensed social worker. Yes, we are mental health professionals. However, we are not experts on anyone else but ourselves. You are the only expert on you. The information shared or discussed on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am so excited for today's conversation because we are introducing a new series uh, for our podcast called Men in Therapy. And yes, it's exactly how it sounds. Uh, The Men in Therapy series is where we interview men in therapy to break the stigma around therapy and normalize the idea of men talking about their feelings. And we have a very, very special first guest of the podcast and first guest of the series with us here today. So let me introduce you all to Pavel Martinez. Pavel's superpower is uncovering the story behind the numbers by translating data into stories. He's been able to flex his skill at various technology companies such as Facebook, his previous employer, and TikTok, his current employer. Although he's been successful, he has met many challenges along the way. Like many other people of color, he's experienced imposter syndrome, microaggressions, and racism. He would often repress parts of his identity inside and outside of work in an effort to feel more included and less judged. But trust, he is not alone. According to a new study published by the Center for Talent Innovation, Latinos at Work, Unleashing the Power of Culture, most Latinos in the U.S. do not feel that they can bring their whole selves to the office. The study found that the vast majority of Latinos, 76%, repress parts of their personas at work. They modify their appearance, body language, and communication style, all components of executive presence that intangible element that defines leadership material, and that's from the Harvard Business Review. Pavel's mission in life became redefining professionalism for Latinx communities by empowering authenticity. And in 2020, he launched Plural to bring this mission to life. Pavel, welcome to the podcast. Say hello to the listeners. Hey. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm feeling very energized and also a little anxious, if I'm being honest, but uh, I'm excited. Ooh, he like jumping right in. That's what we usually do. We do check-ins. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to lead the way, but actually, I do want to circle back around to you. But uh, thank you for starting that. Um, so we usually do check-ins every episode. And um, it's just about how you're feeling, which you did a great job at doing right now. Uh, sorry, I got excited. I was like, oh, he's talking about feelings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, ooh, today, how am I feeling? <sighs> Uh, I am, I feel like I'm on this journey of self-love and it's so funny because you, when you're little, well, I can't speak for everybody, but I know that from my experience, when I was little, I wasn't taught how to do that. And this shit is fucking hard, man. It's like, it's hard, you know, you, and then I catch myself slipping and then like giving my energy away to giving my energy away unnecessarily. And then I reel it back. And then it's just a lot of energy. It's like having three jobs literally um but i am really proud of myself because it's it's slowly getting there and as long as it's moving forward i mean that's the goal right yes 
Oh, I guess I'll go next to jump off of where you're coming from because I feel like I'm also on my self-love journey. But I think I I did really great this week. I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back, my kudos, because uh, I definitely was feeling extremely anxious on Sunday, I would say, like right before the week started, just thinking about all of the things that I had to do. I had a staff member that had to unexpectedly take a leave and just trying to organize how all of that was going to go was really stressing me out. And then I just had two major events happening this week. So feeling really stressed out. But what I did was I prioritized myself and my rest and my well-being. And that actually helped me achieve the things that I needed to do better. I had to adjust to a different schedule because I wasn't getting things done at the speed that I normally did, but I felt less anxious doing it. And I felt like I created a better product. So it's kind of like, like it it seems counterintuitive, but it really worked in my favor. So I do want to, you know, pat myself on the back because that was an experience. And I did have some anxiety in even doing that, but I just leaned in and it worked out and definitely going to keep, keep doing that moving forward. Love that. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's my turn. Oh, yeah. Um, I am feeling overwhelmed and, uh, well, I just started a new job at, uh, at TikTok and it was, I think this is week three that just finished, but I'm also balancing that with just my side hustle or my side business plural. And I'm feeling overwhelmed with just like the amount of things that I have to do, but no one's like, you know, we'll probably get into this later, but like, no one's telling me I have to do these things. No one's telling me I have a deadline. Like I just, it's just a lot of self-imposed things that I feel like I need to do. And I, you know, one of the, one of the things I struggle with is this idea around just productivity and what is productive. So, I mean, I was proud of myself, like, again, we'll probably get into this too, but I journal every morning. And nice. one of the things I wrote down, I was like, I feel overwhelmed and, you know, just writing and, and getting all those things out. I realized like, um, you know, pr- being productive is also taking a nap. So I took a nap and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna get back to this later. I don't need to do this right now. So overwhelmed i'm still dealing with that but uh i feel a little bit more comfortable now though okay that's good so you're you're on that journey too i hope on your to-do list is to send me my merch that i purchased this week because you know <laughs> i'm i'm still waiting i'm like did my did my item ship <laughs> i got you i got you okay cool that level of insight really shows that you are doing the work Um, And I love that. I love to see that energy with whomever I meet, but especially men of color, because I feel like there's such a stigma around therapy and talking about your feelings. So shout out to you for being so vulnerable right now. I really appreciate that. And I do not take that for granted. Uh, I feel like sometimes people do. So just to start the conversation off. Well, before we do, I do want to ask you, like you are in therapy, correct? Yes. All right. So can you describe the point at which you realized that you wanted or needed to go to therapy? Yeah. uh, Well, I think it takes representation and like, I guess someone, you know, at least for me, I feel like I needed, I needed to see someone in therapy that I knew to feel like it was okay to go to therapy. But I think it's not only just representation that's important. I think you need to be at a, at a, specific time in your life to accept the help and I'll give Mm -hmm. you I'll give you an example like when I was younger probably like middle school I had this friend that I grew up with same building like three floors down like best friend growing up and 
he went to therapy at a really young age. And like in my imagination, I didn't know what the hell therapy was, but I just imagined him no lie, like in a stray jacket, like going crazy, <laughs> like the worst oh, of the no. worst things I just imagined in him. And we never spoke about it. Right. I just heard, it's not like he told me he went to therapy. Like his mom told my aunt, his <laughs> aunt told it. me, you know what Yo, I mean? And it was, you know, <laughs> the cheese the cheese is so real. Like they can't keep anything to themselves. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then when I, and just thinking about it, I'm like, yo, therapy, like, what, what is, what is, what is that even? Like, you go talk to somebody about your feelings. I'm like, I, I'm like, yo, that's some white people shit. Legit. I was like, that's some white people shit. That's <laughs> weird. But my friend was Puerto Rican. My friend was Puerto Rican and Dominican, but he went to like, we grew up in the projects together, but you know, he was able to get, you know, do some hard work and, and all these things. He went to scholarship. He got a couple scholarships. He went to like private school. So he was surrounded by um, white people. So I was like, oh, some white people get into him. Now he's going to therapy. You know what I mean? Like do what you got to do, bro. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't until I got older that, um, you know, I was dealing through, I was dealing with certain things that we could get into mostly anxiety. But, um, I remember I went on a trip with my boy who recently went through a divorce and I was telling him, and I was asking him like, yo, how did you, you know, what are you doing to get over that? Blah, blah. He was like, oh man, I actually just started going to therapy. And I was like, therapy, shit, other people do this. And this was a dude that like I went to high school with and wasn't as involved in white culture. So I felt a little mm. bit more seen. And that's when I was like, all right, well, damn, maybe I should do it. But it wasn't until I got a job at Facebook when I actually thought about going to it. And the reason for it, it was like therapy. I'm not paying for that shit. Right. Access is a whole nother thing. So mm. Facebook actually offers a benefit that gives you like 50 free sessions um wow. and then after that you pay ten dollars a copay i'm like it's nothing right so wow. because of that that's when i went to therapy because the access was so easy to sign up for that's a big piece that you brought up there access to therapy we definitely have an episode on going to therapy and one of the things that we discussed in that episode was being able to pay mm -hmm. for therapy because it's like, how do you pay for it? Are you paying for it out of, you know, pocket? Like I'm paying $110 a session every mm -hmm. week for therapy. So it, it can get really expensive. I love that you, you brought that up, but I also, just one of the things you said, you, you thought like this, you know, your friend was like going in there in a straight jacket and like, mm -hmm. you just had all of these wild thoughts. Do you know like where you got that from? Cause it, it didn't come out of nowhere. Sometimes we, we build these things consciously, these thoughts consciously and sometimes unconsciously. Do you have any idea why you, I guess, thought it was like something for white people or that he was in a straight jacket, <laughs> you know, at, at his <laughs> therapy session? Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the, exactly why, but I, um, I would assume that it, it's because of the media, like in the media, I would never see people. I, I can't remember. I, I would only remember white people in therapy, right? Like mm -hmm. I would never see, like when I see people of color in media going through problems, they would go towards what people call vices. They would go towards mm -hmm. the alcohol and the drugs. Whereas in media, I would see white people going to therapy and getting like actual medical help. Um, that's one thing, but I think it, I think it's also cultural. You know what I mean? Like I told my mom, I, I started going to therapy and she, you know, one of the first questions is like, what's wrong with you? What's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's those type of questions. Yep. So, you know, I think it's media, but I think it's also cultural around, you know, why are you going to therapy? Habla con, habla con Dios, mijo. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> you know what you're talking about though? Because we're talking about access. And we're talking like when we I at least for me, when I when I say access, I think about like access to actual physical resources, like monetary mm-hmm. things. Um, but yeah. what you're talking about is cultural access, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's this, we don't even recognize that we are, we don't enter certain worlds because of the way we grew up. Right. And like, that's the whole point, what they never told us. Like, these yeah. are the, the unseen things that are affecting our lives. Like they're pulling the strings and we're not even aware. So it's pretty dope that you're aware. Yeah, absolutely. So how long have you been in therapy? Like, when did you start going approximately? Yeah, I've been in therapy for, so I had four years at Facebook. uh, And this, you know, I'll probably hit, yeah, so about four years, because I started going, (laughs) like, as soon as those benefits kicked in, I was like, you know what, let me, let me try this out. Then I went to go look for one. And it was, I'm telling you, so easy. So it was just automatic. And I started going uh, every week for the for the next four years after starting at facebook Uh, shout out to facebook because it's not always that easy Mm -mm. Mm -mm. and it's also i just want to point out that like you had a really smooth experience can you like break it down like what was it about being in therapy that you were just like yo i'm gonna stay did you have to switch therapists did you just like immediately connect with that person yeah so it's really interesting too because i hear a lot of people when, when, when they talk about their experience in finding a therapist, it's a very extensive process, right? And, and, and the type of questions and, and questions that they ask themselves, but also like qualifiers and filters that they go for, right? Like a lot of people go for a person of color if they're a person of color, or mm-hmm. they look for a woman if they're a woman, right? They're very specific things, or even, you know, the, the therapist's specialty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, like, y'all probably get a laugh, legit. I just picked the therapist that was the closest one to my train stop. Legit. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I looked up, like, the only filter I had was, actually, no, all right. So the only filter I had, so the filter I had was, um, I mean, you know what? The train stop next to my job, that's access as well, right? Convenience. So that's, you know, all right. The other one I had was, like, specialty in um, dealing with anxiety. Um, okay. And then the last one, I actually intentionally looked for a white woman and the reason for that is because and and this is the only therapist i've ever had so i do wonder what it is like to have a person of color as a therapist but i intentionally seek that out because i wanted someone that was of a completely different experience to sort of like challenge my viewpoints in some ways because sometimes so i have you know part of the anxiety is like these this voice that I have in my head that tells me certain things that I should be believing. And I think part of that story that I tell myself sometimes is like, oh no, it's cultural. And I think I was looking for someone to say, no, it's not cultural. It's, it's just human. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to be seen as just human and normal. And I wanted that validation, I think from that validation or even like challenging almost of um someone different i mean it does come with some conflict at times though because i do think that there are certain things that she doesn't understand but yeah i mean so far it's all i know and i think it's i think it's going well so far that's actually really interesting to me because as you're speaking i'm starting to get a story of who you are right because it sounds like to me that you started therapy with a high awareness of yourself. So 
is it safe to say that you were like extremely aware of yourself and your surroundings at a young age? I would think so. Yeah. I mean, I remember just being in relationships and I would be like, yo, this chick is so unaware. Like, how do you, how are you saying this, this and that, but you're not like doing the action. So like, I would even look for that in, in, in partners, like romantic partners as well. So I would think I'm self-aware. Yeah. That self-awareness piece, you know, I think that speaks to people's personality types and it, it blows my mind, right? Like, so I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that you were self-aware already and like you had this personality to be more inclined to be curious and to take yourself apart, but yet you still needed that representation from somebody who normalized it for you in order to actually like jump into it and be like, oh, okay, I am going to do this, even though you kind of were on that path already. Yeah. I mean, although I was self-aware, I don't think I was in control. Mm -hmm. Um, I was aware of things that was happening. <laughs> wow, that hit I, me. I was like, goosebumps. <laughs> I was like, snap, yeah. snap. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the big the big thing too, is like I was aware that I wasn't in control. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I would go through certain things and I live alone, right? So for example, like in the morning, like I wake up by five in the morning and like I don't start into work until like nine, right? But within those four hours. I would drive myself down a rabbit hole of ideas and thoughts and all of these things, you know, some positive, mostly negative though. Right. And that's when I say like, I wasn't in control of those thoughts and feelings and, and, and all of those things. So I needed help and a guide on how to be more in control. Mm. Right. So, I mean, I know that you mentioned your anxiety and I'm sure that the anxiety was a big factor in you not feeling like you were con in control because that is part of what anxiety does. It, it it kind of like brings up these worst case scenarios. You talked about the voice in your head. That's how my anxiety works. So can you maybe talk a little bit about what you discovered about your anxiety in therapy and maybe what are some things that you learned in, in therapy that were helpful in terms of con getting that, that sense of control for yourself? Yeah. I mean, yo, there, there are so many... I mean, there are so many different areas that anxiety has impacted my life from uh, from sex to uh, to work, to uh, family, to like romantic relationships, um, even something as simple as like communicating my emotions. Like I just never knew how to do that. Um, but sorry, wait, your question was like, how did I get control of it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've just realized like how powerful words and actions are for yourself. And there are like so many simple things. All right. So there, there are very simple things that I've done previously to get out of it that I didn't necessarily, I, I just did it, but I didn't necessarily know that that was a strategy. For example, if, if I'm feeling sad, I'll put on Seinfeld or friends or like insecure or whatever, right. To get me out of it. But I never thought of that as a tactic. You know what I mean? I just did it subconsciously. Right. So like one of the things my therapist helped me go, I forget, I forget the exact method, but there's like a, um, it's an acronym for something. I don't know if it's labeled like star or something. And like, yeah, I was going to say star, one of, probably. maybe one of them is like situational. Right. So like, I, there's like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe, but there are like, I pretty much made a list of all the things that I can do to get myself out of a certain mindset. Um, and a lot of that was strategy. So going back to that, like anxiousness in the morning and it sounded like to me, when she said these things, it sounded so 
corny, so cheesy. And I'm just like, that is not going to work. But I literally dedicate time now in the morning to like, let my mind wander. I dedicate like two hours every morning to just let my mind wander. And after that, I go into the next thing. But like within those two hours, I can go as, and I'm, and it, words are so intentional, but I want to just say the word crazy. So I'm just going to say it. Like I let my mind go crazy. Um, and after that, I'm like, oof, I'm out of there. I'm good now. And then if I need to get out of that mindset, you know what? Next, next hour, I'm going to watch a comedy. Next hour, I'm going to watch, I'm, I'm going to like go into my coloring book. It's all about these like activities and mindsets that I try to put myself in to sort of feel more in control of my mood and my energy. So I have a, a colleague friend who says that crazy is the new normal. Um, <laughs> so I definitely want to normalize that word because I, and I hear, and I, I get, well, I think I get what you mean. I just want to clarify a little bit more on like what crazy yeah. meant for you and why you felt like, why you think it's like quote unquote crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going back to, and, and I love how you use the word normalize because I think when we're, when we're going through a lot of these things, um, you know, these are very individualistic feelings, right? Like, it's not like, yeah, I mean, when we're going through these things, at least for me, like, I think I'm alone, right? Like, I'm like, yo, no one else has these stories that are going off in their head. Like, um, and part of me wants to personify them. I don't know why, but <laughs> yeah, no, no one has this person that's just like telling them all this shit. Like, and I think it, a lot of it too is because we don't talk about these things, right? Like a lot, like the things that we do talk about or even like share on things like social media, which is like how we keep in touch with people. They're all the positive things, right? Like mm -hmm. no one talks about these, uh, these other situations like anxiety. And I, you know, that's, that's the beautiful thing about the platform that you are creating. I, you know, you're helping to normalize it. So I think when we're going through, at least when I'm going through it, I feel like I'm alone in a lot of those situations. And by being alone, you know, I am, feel like an outcast. I feel like I'm different. Right. Um, and it is until you start talking to people or even going to therapy when she's like, when your therapist is like, no, like other people are going through this. Like, this is why I have a job. You think you think you were my only client? <laughs> you know, you might be. I've definitely said that to people before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that um, something you mentioned about feeling like you're alone, you know, like thinking like you're the only one that's experiencing this. Like, have you had an opportunity or do you talk to your friends your guy friends any anyone in your family about going to therapy yeah I talked to my guy friends about it and um it's pretty dope like I think I mean access again is, is a challenge but I have a friend that doesn't necessarily he doesn't go to therapy uh, or see a therapist but he's been on this like deep just self-discovery journey and, you know, he's admitted to me that he's like, he cries like very often. And that's something that we never spoke about, I think, until I started talking about therapy more openly and I, what I think is normalizing therapy. And I think that has, just like my one friend enabled me to be vulnerable and open and go seek help. I think me being open about it made him feel a lot more comfortable in sharing his feelings and sharing his emotions. So although he's not actually seeing a therapist, I do see a change in just the level of the conversation and vulnerability in within my friends group. That's the goal, right? To, yeah. to normalize it to a point where this is what everybody does. But I'm curious to know what your first time, that's so funny saying that, but what your first time was like in, in 
reaching out to your guy friends and being vulnerable with them about this? Like, how did that, like, if you remember, like, how did that work where you're like, oh shit, are they going to like think I'm, you know, and yo, like I was about to, I was about to say, are they going to think I'm a pussy? And that, and it's ingrained <laughs> in me too, right? Like that's, that's social norms. I mean, heteronormative standards uh, in us that kind of play themselves out all the time. But like, what was that process like for you? Like, yo, I'm going to, I'm going to tell my boy this. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's funny. I don't remember telling my boy about it, but I do remember telling people at work about it. And that was really, that was kind of nerve wracking for me because, and it's so weird because, you know, Facebook has so many benefits, right? And a lot of, you know, some companies have mental health days and I would often hear my colleagues say, yo, I'm taking a mental health day or like, oh, I can't make that. I'm going to see my therapist. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what the, what the fuck is a mental health day? I'm sorry for cursing. I was like, what is a mental health day? Like, I would never take a mental health day. Because I was like, yo, again, I was like, yo, that is for white people. Like, people of color don't take mental health days. I mean, this pre-coronavirus, we wouldn't miss a day at work because we're scared of getting fired. You know what mm. I mean? And I was already going through a lot of things at work. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to say, oh, I can't make that meeting because I'm going to see my therapist. And then in my head, I thought that they saw the word therapist as weak and he needs help if he needs help then he can't perform if he can't perform he can't be here but again no one told me that it was just that's a story that I told myself I actually I'm going to beg to differ a little bit I don't think no I don't think anyone explicitly told you that but I think that as people of color, we're always so aware of the fact that we are people of color. Because trust me, even if you're walking with your head down, someone's going to remind you. Because I used to work in Midtown and I got reminded all the time. Uh, that's when it really hit me. But what, because we're people of color, it's, even though we see our white counterparts normalizing this thing that they do, it almost feels like it's not safe enough to step into, into their realm of quote unquote normalcy. Because you know that you're treated differently, like for whatever reason it is. And you're like, yo, let me not slip up because if I slip yeah. up, they're going to be like, you're the crazy, you know, Dominican or mm -hmm. I'm not Dominican. I'm talking about Pavel, you know, or you're the crazy <laughs> Colombian chick, right? Like that's the Latina in her um, because yeah. it's happened before. So it's not mm -hmm. direct, but it's I I'm going to safely say I don't think you made that up on your own. Yeah, I mean, there were there were other things that I was called out of work um, and therapy even helped me through that. <laughs> there you go like there you go like what <laughs> yeah there, there were other things that I was called at work and we could get into that as well but um I think if I was in therapy before some of those interactions it would have been a lot different because again one of the challenges that I went through is just being able to communicate my emotions like you asked a simple question earlier right you were like how are you feeling right and the we often say like, oh, I'm good. That's mm -hmm. not a feeling. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, yeah, there's the, I can get into it if y'all want, but um, go ahead. You know, long story short, like we, we were in a meeting or whatever and I was, it, it was internal and I pretty much like disagreed with my team. And, you know, I was like, oh, I, I disagree because X, Y, and Z in this, in this tone. Right. And then somebody else was like, oh, like, why do you disagree? And I was like, oh, you know, I just said it. I was like, this, this, and that. And they got a little aggressive tone-wise. And I 
I got aggressive back and then whatever. At the end, I got labeled as the aggressive person, right? Um, leading up to that meeting, though, um, there were so many instances where I said something in a meeting. No one listened to me, right? Meanwhile, some someone else said the same thing with less data to back it up. And they were like, oh, genius, right? And it would drive me crazy. And I, when I was telling, again, I use the word crazy, but when I was telling my therapist about it, she she said, you know, Pavel, admittedly, like, were you being, were, did you use a louder tone? And I was like, you know what? Yes, probably I did. She was like, yo, that, that's okay. Like, because, you know, and, and I told her about all these stories before. She was like, you know, they say that people that use a louder tone, that's the, that's the voice of the unheard. And I was like, that makes so much sense because I felt unheard for so long by this team. By, and the only way that I could potentially get them to listen to me is if I raise my voice, right? I feel like that situation could have gone so much different if I was, if during that previous meeting when people didn't listen to what I had to say, I could have told my team like, hey, y'all, I feel unheard. And because of this, this, and that, I need y'all to listen to me. Can we work on this, right? Um, and I think that many of us don't get to that point until we get to that, you're labeled as insert the terrible adjective, aggressive, um, abrasive, um, feisty, all of these kind of things. Um, and, and it's unfortunate that I had to get to there before I could get to the point where I could express my feelings. The processing behind that is very helpful because I, I, when you were telling your story, I, I feel like I've heard this story before because I have heard this story before because I think like as a person of color, this is part of the experience about feeling unheard. And I think it's just natural. Like me, when I'm in an argument, I tend not to yell. But like if you hear my voice getting louder, that means I'm getting upset because I don't feel like you're hearing me. So the fact that it, it, it was like one of those situations where they finally shook, you know, like that big old bottle of Pepsi to the point where once, you know, like once that cap was off, it was boom, an explosion. And luckily for you, it wasn't, it didn't, and I mean, I guess from the story doesn't seem like it was that drastic of a like explosion, but I think that it was super helpful for your therapist to even normalize that experience and say, this is why you were getting louder because you're unheard. Because she basically, what she did was she identified the root issue and then gave you the tools to express it in a manner that's helpful. And I think that that's sometimes with people of color, we don't, we don't get to that point. Like we kind of just get to the point where we explode, we're labeled, and then we carry that with us, right? And then you, you like in turn, you internalize that you're aggressive, something's wrong with you. Like I hate these people because of what they've done to me. And then we get stuck in that place. So I think that even you just saying, explaining what that process was for you is super helpful because I think not even just about men going to therapy but anyone listening to this what's the process of unlearning because you had to unlearn a behavior that was very innate in you going back to what you said in regards to why you even started therapy it's it just blew my mind and I'm so happy you're here uh, because therapy is a way for people to find control of their lives in an effective manner I think that's what it is. Um, like, so I'm putting the pieces together and it's, it sounds like it's working. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, well, I wanted to ask, cause you, you explained this so well, were there any other like big things that you had to unlearn about yourself, about how you were in society, like that you were able to do through, through therapy, like any 
any behaviors, anything negative that were like, mm, we maybe don't want to do that anymore. Like, let's let's switch this up. Things that I had to unlearn. Um, that's a great question. Sorry, I got to think about this. Um, no, take your time. Things that I had to Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are things, but nothing is coming to mind right now. I wish I had notes on like my previous few therapy sessions. Um, I think, I think the big, all right, the biggest thing that I've had to unlearn is just this idea around productivity like for me, productivity used to only mean revenue generating things. And if I'm not making money, then it's not productive. Like the reason why I wake up at five in the morning is not because I can't sleep. It's because I wake up to do things, whether it's like my proper job at, 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 uh, at TikTok right now, or it's my side business. Like it's to be quote unquote productive. And just that earlier example around me waking up today and realizing like, nah, you know what productive is going into my coloring book. It's reading a book. You know what? It's going for a walk. It's cleaning the apartment. It doesn't have to be something that is all about getting the bag. And I think it's really difficult to do that when you go on social media and that's what it's all about. Mm. It's all about, even in quarantine, it's like, Yo, if you didn't, if you didn't get us, if you didn't create a side hustle during quarantine, in parentheses, when the whole world is crying and dying and losing their jobs, you ain't shit. And I'm just like, damn, yeah, you're right. I'm not shit. Let me get up five in the morning and do all these things. And I've had to unlearn, like, even like what productivity means and understand that it's different for everybody. Yeah. Can you help me unlearn that? <laughs> like, can you, you know, like coach me on the side? Cause I, I, but I do agree with you exactly what you said about COVID and the productivity Olympics. Like that's when I finally heard that term, like, who, like I'm not competing in the productivity Olympics. Like I'm not trying to, you know, start my LLC, like <laughs> do all of that stuff. So I think that that's a, that's a big lesson to unlearn. And, and my association with productivity is, is really money, like mm-hmm. money, equal security to me and like I you know not mm-hmm. that I grew up in the in the poorest of situations but you know I grew up in the projects my family still lives in the projects it was like you know food stamps and all that kind of stuff and you know I always had food on the table like I was fortunate in that sense um but I just there's certain things where you live in the projects that that you see where like you aren't taken care of and I was just like I never want to I never want to go through that so for me, like I product when I say productivity really just means making money to be financially secure yeah I was you you literally took the question out of my mouth. I wrote it down and everything. Um, that's no, it's that's good self awareness. <laughs> yeah, I think and something else that I unlearned as well, and we probably don't even got time. We could do a whole episode on Dominican men, but um, we I, need we need a trigger warning. A perate, a perate. Trigger warning, trigger warning. We're talking about Dominican men. Yeah, trigger warning to all the females who have dated a Dominican man, myself included, uh, because it's real. <laughs> it's a real thing. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know it's funny i put a, i put up a post one day and i was like hashtag dominican men don't cheat something and my mom dm me on the side uh she's she's like mijo um I'm, I'm gonna just say nigga she was like hey i know like all about the jokes but not seriously like you should pray to god say seven hell marys and an our father because that's a big ass lie <laughs> Yo, shout out to your mom for being real even with her son because you know right. our latina moms they'll they'll like be like everything you do is amazing they clap when you walk they clap for anything you do so shout out to her i think that's dope yeah well what i was gonna say is one thing that i had to learn is like you know i'm not my father like i can Oof. um do i i i have jokingly not even jokingly i've always said that i don't want kids um but in reality i probably do i'm just scared to not be there for my kids and to repeat this like dominican curse if you will <laughs> trigger warning um <laughs> yeah like that's <laughs> that's one thing that i've had to unlearn like it's you can create your own path and you can break the cycle um yeah so there's a lot of things that come came to mind i wish i thought about these sooner but that's another one so i actually think that's perfect because i i have a follow-up question um I want to know if there's any conflicting stereotypes that you still battle with within you as a man. And like, let me even push it f- further, like as a Dominican man in therapy currently now. Oh, my God. Well, one of the things that I'm that I'm going through actually right now is as a Dominican man, I've always envisioned myself as, you know, with a specific type of Latina looking woman. And um, mornings are real. OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. hit me a little bit <laughs> you might be tapping into our own insecurities but yes please continue <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean uh you know instagram has something to do with it for sure um but i think there's also this and the nationalistic mindset of dominican culture is real and it's not something that has ever been told to me but i see it right like my mom has never said like you have to be with a Dominican woman. Like literally, no one has ever told me that, right? Um, but in my head, I've always told myself that I need to be with a specific type of looking Latina, right? Um, and what's interesting is like my brand and the side business that I've created is all about empowering people to be themselves, right? Um, and that said, my current girlfriend is a white woman, and I. In my head, I'm like, oh my God, am I a fraud? Because I'm dating a white woman. And like, I sometimes tell myself like, yo, if we have kids, I'm going to have to carry that burden. And yes, I use the word burden of like, am I going to be Dominican enough for my children to like teach them the, the culture and all these things? But I think about it all the time as far as just like, oh my God, what are people going to think of me? Like, if I don't have a Latina by my side kind of thing. But it's weird because I've had guests on the podcast who, you know, my, one of my really good friends, she's Dominican and she married a black man and her, her mom cried the first day that he, that she told her that. Right. But I'm over here telling her that it's okay. And like ethnicity and culture and all that thing doesn't matter. Love who you love, be who you want to be with. Right. But I'm not giving myself that same amount of credit and energy as well. So yeah, that's one of the things that I'm still dealing with as a Dominican man thinking that I have to be a certain way or be with, be with someone specifically. It's funny because I was talking to a friend the other day specifically about his superficialness, right? He's also a Dominican man. And Mm -hmm. what I ended up telling him, because it's true, and I think Crystal and I always talk about this, like the thing, the parts of yourself that you choose to own, right? Like as long as you work through it and you figure out, all right, how did I get from point A to point, I don't know, 
M. I don't know why I said M, but because it's like in the mm. middle of the alphabet. That's why. Um, but because <laughs> your story's not done. That's why. Um, how did I get from A to M? And once you understand the process and the journey, and so what if you were influenced by external factors? Because you're a human being. We're flawed and we can't control everything. We can't be like Iron Man and just have like this guard on from guard from the world all the time. Like once you recognize that path. And then you say, you know what? I accept it, right? I mean, I think that that's probably the best place that you can be with that because it's kind of like me as a female. If I don't do my nails and it's, this is the silliest thing. I feel ugly. I'm like, oh, my nails aren't done. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't show them. But I'm owning really, you know, negative stereotypes about being a woman. But mm-hmm. if I own it, it, the narrative changes in my mind and it makes me feel different. Um, I mean, I I guess you alluded to it a little bit in terms of talking about your relationship with your girlfriend. Um, but how has therapy impacted your relationships with the people closest to you? Um, how what have you seen has shifted or changed in the past four years? Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it's well. I. It, <sighs> One, I think it made me realize certain things as far as my family and give you an example, like I'm really close to my grandma and I realized certain things, obviously like she's my grandma, right? Well, I was, should live forever and all that. Mm-hmm. But um, I realized like she was the only person that is, is a hugger. And I realized one of the things in therapy is like my love language is is physical touch, one of them. And I wasn't, I wasn't really like, there was no affection being shown when I, when I grew up. Um, like I know, I don't remember people telling me they loved me. My grandma, the way that she showed love, just like hugs and kisses and like the rubbing of the arm and all of these things. And I've realized through therapy as like, as to like why I'm so close with her. Um, and something else that I realized, um, is how much I don't know about my mom. And I think through therapy, I'm getting a lot closer to her. Because I'm realizing, yeah, just like how emotionally unavailable she's been throughout my life. And I think through therapy and me trying to figure out myself, now I'm also trying to figure out who my mom is. Um, And then a constant theme that comes up is just my dad. I didn't grow up with my dad. So it's so, yeah. And I think something else that I've realized um, is just like so many little things that you, that happen when you're younger impact you in your life. And my mom is helping to close the gaps in some of that story for me. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's just, as I get to know myself, I'm more comfortable getting to know other people as well. Mm. Um, So it's also helped in that way, because I think I've become a lot closer to other people, because the more vulnerable that I am, the more vulnerable that they are going to be. I mean, yeah. Do you just do you want to take over our podcast moving forward? <laughs> <laughs> that was a gem drop. I love that, and I mean, yeah, I think it makes sense. I think that, uh, in our minds, when we think about vulnerability, we think about rejection. We think about being made fun of. We think about you know, like the door closing on us, and it the opposite of that like the more vulnerability that you show and I mean with every person or scenario it will be different right because you have to 
know your audience, but when you open up that door for of vulnerability, people see you for who you are, and then they also feel more comfortable in showing you who they are, and that's where you build the connection. And that, that's why it's, you know, as you're going on this journey, you know, you're you're learning more about your mom and you're getting closer to her because she, you know, it like you said, she's emotionally unavailable, but she's like, okay, well, like, Fabian seems comfortable here. Like, I may not be able to meet him exactly where he's at, but let me get a little bit closer to to where he is or even just helping you understand your own journey with your dad. Oh, yeah. Like, there, my dad always comes up and, like, I don't have a relationship with him, so I don't ask him these questions, but my therapist asked me, like, oh, whatever happened with your mom and dad? And I was like, you know what? I don't know. I don't want to ask. I've never asked my mom because I didn't, I already don't have a close relationship with my dad and I don't want to have a less close relationship with him. I don't want to hate him in some way. But yeah, like one simple thing, I was like, mom, do you want to go to lunch? She was like, what? She's like, what you want? And I was, she's right. She's right. I wanted something. But yeah, I, want, I wanted to ask her the question. I was like, whatever happened with you and dad? Very simple question, but it's continuing to like get me to understand just like who I am and why I tick and why I do certain things. And I'm finding out how much I am of my dad. Oh my God. A lot like him. <laughs> nah, I mean, you know, there's certain things you take from your mom, certain things you take from your dad, but the whole point is just like, it's important to ask those questions and not be scared to, you know, that's what the therapist is for. Right. Cause then therapist loves me. I give her more and more content every week. Cause she, I, I take the homework. I ask the mom a question that I'm like, my therapist's name is Jody. I'm like, Jody, I need you. I got so much more. But nah, it's, it's just like continuing to like unpack and unravel you. You know, but I love that you're talking about your your story this way, because I think that that is probably one of the best reasons to go to therapy, just to kind of create a narrative that's more unique to you. So we talk a lot about how beneficial therapy could be. And to have a guest like you definitely shows that it's beneficial and that we're not lying. However, I, I always like to shed light on how hard it could be sometimes. And I'm not asking you to talk about the hard times. I just want to kind of get a feel for what you think about when it gets hard and why you push through, why you decide to keep on going. When it gets hard with, with therapy or just like in life, you mean? Or both. Both, yeah. But I, I, I think particularly therapy, what it does is it's kind of like, you know, you have a treasure chest, right? And it's, yeah. it's a treasure chest of like so many different things. And then you start picking these things apart. And I think a lot of people, what they, and I've seen it as a therapist and my clients stop, would stop coming uh, there are some people who are going to be like, yo, this shit is too hard. I'm This is bringing me more problems, actually. And by the way, my mom has told me that. She's like, aren't you in therapy? Why are you crying even more? And I was like, because yeah. this shit runs deep. So I guess my question is, how do you, not how, but why do you decide to keep going? Even when things do get messy and more difficult because of the therapy. Yeah, uh, I, I, two reasons come to mind. Uh, the first is that, I've already seen so much progress. Um, and if I'm going through something new, it's like, well, I've already tackled X, Y, and Z. I've gotten over that. Well, not over that, but I, I've, I feel more in control of those things for when they do come up, I have a strategy on how to, how to, how to tackle them. But I think more importantly, um, I'm doing it for other people as well, because the more that I go to therapy, I think the the better my interactions are going to be with other people. 
Um, I think about those examples at work um, and how they could have been so much more different. I think of old relationships that I've had, romantic relationships, and how maybe they would have been different, right? Um, but most importantly, when I say other people, by going to therapy and talking about it openly, I'm normalizing it with people that look like me. Um, and it's very important. It's very, very important for us to continue normalizing it because right now what we have normalized through media and a bunch of other things are those vices like drugs and alcohol and very destructive patterns where there is another alternative that many people just don't know about or don't have access to. So I think through these conversations, we can normalize it together. And that was my ending statement too. <laughs> if maybe, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> no, it, it, it can be your ending statement. So, Pavel, thank you so much for your vulnerability, for coming on here, for letting us <laughs> know about your therapy journey. Um, and of course, you know, like, I'm sure that anyone listening is like, yo, that's a really cool dude. I really like him. I want to get to know more about him. So let the people know where they can connect with you. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on LinkedIn at Pavel Martinez. That's P-A-B-E-L. You can find me on Instagram at Pabiceps. And you can also follow my small business at Plural, where we are redefining professionalism for Latinx communities. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, so y'all already know what to do. Hit that follow. Like, go on LinkedIn. Uh, not only do you want to follow Pavel, but you want to make sure to follow us on Instagram at Never Told This Pod. And let us know what you thought about today's conversation. You can also email us at nevertoldthispod at gmail.com. And as always, continue to come back so we can tell you what they never told us. <laughs>